everybody, this is Rudy Sarzo, and you listen to Diary of the Mad Man podcast right here. Come back and listen to it some more. What's up? Welcome to another episode of Diary of the Madman, the ultimate Ozzy Osbourne podcast where we geek out about all things Ozzy and Ozzy related. It has been a long time, so in case you don't recognize my voice, I am Josh Crum, and he is Mr. Dan Drago. How's it going, Dan? I am doing great, guys. How's everybody doing? Sorry that it's been a little bit of a break between episodes, but we are fucking excited to be back. Yeah, man, we love it. I love hearing your beautiful voice and talking about the greatest thing in the fucking world, in my world, in your world, Mr. Ozzy Osbourne. That is no question, my man. The greatest thing outside of my family, of course. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, I do think most fans and listeners do understand. We get a lot of compliments on our social media to say, hey, thank you guys for taking the time to do this. And I think most people know that we do have day jobs and families and lives, and we truly, it's the labor of love, and we do it just when we have the time for it. And we wish we had time for it every day, but unfortunately, we don't. Well, the way I look at it is we can stretch this fucker out for years because there's so many interesting topics we could do that, you know, with our schedule being when we get to it and we want to do it as much as possible. Sometimes we'll release one every week, then we can go three weeks, four weeks without releasing one. But there's just so many cool topics. And again, I want to bring it out there. Right now, we are going through the patient number nine album. But once that is complete, let's hear some topics you guys want us to discuss. For sure. And if ever we're out of topics, we can just start from album one and go track by track through those. <laughs> you know, there are <laughs> podcasts out there, even in our deep dive network, that I think it's a cool idea, but they literally do track by track. I mean, yeah. it's crazy to me. I mean, I mean, I guess that's what we're fucking doing. So what we am say I that, about? but we're fucking doing it. I mean, <laughs> what the hell? What other podcast on earth is going to give you a track by track rundown of God only knows? You know what I mean? Yeah, Us, absolutely. We're it. That's right. We just hope you guys enjoy it. it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> no question. All right, Dan. So before we get into the awesome one of those days featuring Eric Clapton, we want to get your opinion on the new movie Halloween Ends. We talk a lot about horror movies on these shows, you know, as, as things come and go. And this one definitely has been a divisive entry into the series. And spoiler, if you have not watched the movie yet, you might want to fast forward a little bit. We will be talking about spoilers for a second, but not too long. This is an Aussie episode. But just in case we want to let you know. But Dan, what was your thought on Halloween Ends? Oh my gosh. So just to piggyback on what you said, I mean, you, myself, and Ryan could easily do a horror podcast as well as, you know, doing the Aussie stuff. We, all three of us are huge fucking horror fans and we're very similar. You know, we both love Halloween and Friday the 13th in particular. I might like Evil Dead a little bit more, but the new Halloween is like a fucking holiday for the three of us. We all were, you know, not as excited as a Aussie record. Let's just be honest, but it's up there. It's fucking, it's exciting. Well, it was a part of the of the whole event. It was like, man, like we got Ozzy in September and then Halloween in October. It's so fucking I know. cool. And I had the Pixies in between. So, and a Stephen King novel. It has been a fucking great run for Dan Drago. But before I give you my review, I was so fucking intrigued because I watched a lot of non-spoiler reviews that were leading up to it because I saw it opening night like Josh did. And everybody was saying how divisive it is. And I just couldn't figure out, you know, that was part of the fun for me. You know, you and I were texting like, how the yeah. fuck is this going to be so divisive? It's a goddamn Michael Myers movie. Well, that's exactly how it was divisive. It ended up not being a fucking Michael Myers movie. 
<laughs> exactly. That's a very good point. So overall, I'd say I liked it better than I think you did and what Ryan did. Ryan fucking hates it. Guys, if you want to bust Ryan's balls, ask him how he likes Halloween ends online. But I'd have to say I loved Corey Cunningham. I'm one of the rare. I loved the first 45 minutes of the movie and the buildup of a new character and the reemergence of Michael. But I hated the whole Corey turning and becoming a killer. That was really not my bag. And Michael being a weak ass pussy, that wasn't anybody's bag, right? Yeah, it was that just so strange. Me. That yeah. doesn't bother me. I'm sorry. He's the incredible Hulk and kills. And then all of a sudden in this one, he's a fucking beat down old man. Well, I think he's 70, right? I mean, he's 70 years old. He was the incredible old. Hulk three years ago, four years ago. That's the problem with the movie is kills fucked it up. Now, if, if you go from Halloween 2018 to Halloween ends, I think you have a lot better continuity. Halloween kills made him supernatural. I love Halloween Kills, but I did not like that aspect of it. I think, truthfully, you nailed it right there. In 2018, he was very much a human again. We see he's old man. He's got gray hair. He's yeah. locked up. I mean, he's just a dude right. who manages to get loose and starts to spree again, right? You hit the nail on the head when you said Kills is really the one that, while we love Kills, Kills is so fucking fun. It's the best rewatch of all three of them. It's great. But like you said, it made Michael supernatural. And then all of a sudden, in Halloween Ends, he's very much an old man again who's beaten down and barely alive at this point. They were interviewing one of the writers on the a show that I watched, and he literally said, you know, they said, why did Michael let Corey go when he had a hold of him in the cave and he has him by his neck? And the writer said, you know, that's up for interpretation, but in my eyes, he just didn't have the strength to kill him. So all of a sudden, he's just that weakened, but whatever. All in all, I thought it was a perfectly fine film, just an odd Halloween entry. I, you know, I just don't know if I can get with it for a Halloween movie. I liked all of it. I just didn't like the supernatural aspects. And I know the writer said he didn't consider it supernatural, but I'm going to call bullshit, and I'll tell you why. Because it's got a Dracula motif. There is a part of the movie where Corey is bringing Michael victims to kill. And I guarantee yeah. there's more of them that ended up on the cutting room floor, by the way. The guy who I saw, he did admit that they used Dracula as an inspiration. Oh, they did. Because mm -hmm. I texted you that right away. I said, this yeah, is you fucking did. Dracula. Corey's Renfield and Michael is Dracula. But remember when Michael kills the cop and he does that fucking shake, you know, yeah. and it's like, which is really stupid. I hate that part of the movie. Yeah. It just doesn't go with the character. I don't it's interesting, but it doesn't go with the character. Great call. Yeah. Yeah. But so I loved the overall arc of the movie. I hated the weird possession of Corey and them making Michael Dracula and that whole thing. So unfortunately, that was not a great part of it. I didn't like them killing together. I thought that was also very strange in the world of Halloween. But it led to great fucking memes of Michael on the back of dude's motorcycle, like yeah. holding on to him. And yeah. shit. <laughs> that is funny. It, it did make for great part. memes, but it just was not my Michael. You know what I mean? I did not feel that at all. Everybody rips on the end fight scene. I didn't mind it. I mean, I told you this earlier today. How long can you really have a scene of a 63-year-old woman and a 70-year-old man duking it out? It's kind of ridiculous. I mean, their fight it scene is. was long enough. When they get to the junkyard and they're at that disintegrator and they let Lori shove him in, right? And he just disintegrates into nothing. You know, ground beef, right? He's Michael Myers. He should have got up one more time right there. And as he's rising, Lori turns and just kicks him in the fucking chest and knocks him into it. It would have made me feel so much better to know that Michael didn't go down like such a pussy. I would have liked that better if the fucking town wasn't there. Again, they have this obsession with the town, which is what I didn't like about Halloween Kills. Why the fuck did they have to have a procession? You know, I mean, it just didn't make sense. I didn't like that. And the whole town was on speed dial, by the way. It's like, yeah, <laughs> coming out of nowhere. You know, I just don't know. That whole town thing drives me a little crazy. Yeah, that was a little but, weird, man. Yeah, I don't, and, I like Lindsay. Yeah, have you noticed that she's not there for the procession? 
Like she should be front and center with Lori for that thing. She's yeah, that there. is a fuck up. That is a major fuck up. Yeah, because they, they, you know, they wanted to show the other characters from the other movies, but they forgot Lindsay, who's you know, that's a big bring back in Halloween Kills. Yeah, and she's absolutely. great, and she's you fucking know? hot. So I mean, what the hell? Sure. Yeah, <laughs> she has aged very well. So all in all, on a scale of one to five, what do you rate Halloween Kills? I gave it a three. And I'm sticking with it. Three out of five. What about you? I'm going to say a two. I do think it's a perfectly fine film, but it's, I feel about it the same way I do. Like Jason goes to hell. I love Jason goes to hell as a horror flick. But if I want to see Jason, I'll choose a different Jason movie because I want to see fucking Jason. Oh, I love Jason Goes to Hell. I love it too. But if I want to see Jason, I'm going to play in part part eight. Suck this. Suck it. (laughs) It's one of my all time favorite lines, man. It's a classic. So, it's still a great movie. And I think Halloween ends in time. We'll go down as a great movie. Also, it's just very different. It is. Absolutely. See, I've mentally prepared myself. Once I found out it was a four-year jump, I think I mentally knew they were going to go in a completely different direction. Because yeah. I liked Lori a lot in this movie. I did not like the Sarah Connor Lori at all. To me, that was not her character. So to me, this felt like Lori. And it is the first time out of all three movies. God, I'm going to sound like such a dick. I went for Lori. Half of the time I was going for Michael in the last two because I hated Lori's character. Yeah. But here she was compassionate. She was a great grandmother. She wasn't insane. I really, really enjoyed Jamie Lee Curtis's portrayal of Lori in this one. My favorite out of the three. You've been telling me that for four years. So you just yeah. didn't like her character in the remakes. Uh, the only thing is though like she was already all fucked up and then they killed her fucking daughter and she's supposed to all of a sudden forget about it and move on but that's beside the point no i think they cover that though in kills so that whole scene where she's talking to frank and he tells her it has nothing to do with you dr certain brought him to your house i think that is a click for Lori to realize he's not after me i've been obsessed about him but it has nothing to do with me but then he goes on to kill her daughter and then breathes into her phone. And she says, I'm coming for you, Michael, as the movie goes off. Yeah, but then he disappears, you know, and she realized she had to be a grandmother to Allison who yeah. no longer had a mother. I think the biggest thing as we close this up is, you know, you and Ryan and I all agreed before Halloween ends came out. We we're like, you know, the one thing, whether you like 18, whether you like kills or not, they got Michael totally right. Like James Drew Courtney has been fucking great. Michael's been great. The kills been great. And then when you go see Halloween ends and they literally took Michael out of the film for the most part, I think he has nine minutes of screen time. I think that's what's so bothersome because Michael was so fucking perfect in the other two. But again, if you look at some classic horror movies, I bet you Pinhead has a very small performance in the original Hellraiser. I don't think Freddy's in the original Nightmare on Elm Street very much. I don't think Michael is in the original Halloween that much either. His spirit and his presence are, but the character himself is not. Yeah, I guess. In this one, if we could just see Michael creeping in the background every now and then, I would probably be more down with it. But you do see like the missing signs all over. If you notice, there's a lot of missing kids posters and stuff. I think a lot of that's alluding to the hits. Kind of killed those in the meantime. But all in all, hey, it's a new Halloween. We're still excited to have it, and it's better than nothing, right? I agree. So here's the, the last thing I'll say. David Gordon Green and Danny McBride, I'm big fans of. And I think that's probably why I like it a little bit is I'm huge fans of those guys. Like Righteous Gemstones and Vice Principals, two of my favorite shows of all time. But I think there's segments of all three movies that make me cringe. Dr. Sertan putting on the mask, the mob scene in Halloween Kills, and the possession scene in this all equally make me cringe. So that's why I don't get as mad in this one, because all three of them have something that make me go, what the fuck were they thinking? The worst one in this one for me was not the possession scene. 
it was Corey going in there and kicking Michael's ass in about 10 seconds and taking the mask. I just couldn't believe it. <laughs> couldn't believe it. But, I was like, oh, my God, this is really happening. But don't you think that they led up to that, though? Because Michael couldn't handle the cop. Corey had to help Michael with the cop. Yeah. Oh, yeah, know? for sure. I mean, they, they showed you how weak he was. And like I said, yeah. he couldn't even really kill Corey. You know? Right. So yeah. it's hard to see your idol get his ass handed to him like that in his own film, you know? Agreed. The last thing I will say is this. There's a lot of people complaining that they don't explain the origins of Michael or why he's like that. I don't want to know. That's the beauty of the original film. And in horror in general, sometimes you don't need to explain everything. And I think that sometimes when you do, a la Halloween 5 and Halloween 6, is when you really go off the rails. Rob Zombie's Halloween 2. Fuck, the worst. Oh. Yeah, exactly. that's brutal. All right, Dan, are you ready to get into it? I am. Thank you for letting us indulge our Halloween fetish. I don't know if that's the right word, but fuck it, we'll go with fetish. Today. We'll go with it. <laughs> Hey, dude, nah. I am so excited to be talking about patient number nine, man. I took a little break listening to it, and I've been really hot and heavy with it the last couple of weeks again. And fuck, it is so fresh and just sounds vibrant. 100%. Right before we got to recording this episode, I was jamming the fucking vinyl at full blast. And as you listeners know, I'm not really a vinyl guy, but this album's turning me over to the vinyl because it sounds so good. You hear, I was telling Dan, you hear things you don't quite hear on the CD, but in the same respect, you hear things on the CD you don't quite hear on the vinyl. So it's kind of fun to bounce back and forth and listen to the other variants of it. But man, we're almost two months in and this album's still holding up like a motherfucker. It really is. And I think we're getting to the part of the record that I fucking love. That mid part from... One of those days, A Thousand Shades, Nothing Feels Right, Mr. Darkness. I know I went out of order, but right now we're one of my favorite parts of the record. I would say it's most fans' favorite part of the record. So with that said, let's get into it, man. One of those days featuring Eric Clapton. So Dan, before we get into it, man, give us the details. Tell us who wrote and played on this one and the fun, juicy details of One of Those Days. All right, so One of Those Days features Eric Clapton. It was written by Ozzy, Chad Smith, Andrew Watt. Ali Tamposi and Duff McKagan. So this one is one of two tracks that features Duff McKagan on this record. The other one being the amazing album opener Immortal. So uh, Duff does get a, a writing credit on drums is Chad Smith. And then we also have James Poyser who plays organ. And we also have Zach Wild who contributes keyboards. And of course, Andrew Watt is on guitar and does all the rhythms, and you can hear Eric Clapton. He basically just solos throughout the whole track. If you're an Eric Clapton fan, you just can't not love this song, man. I was at a funeral the other day for a buddy who passed away, and I was talking to a guy, and I know he's just a well-known Clapton dude. And I was like, man, what do you think about the Clapton track with Ozzy? And he wasn't aware of it. He wasn't aware it was that, you know, it was a thing. And I was like, dude, you got to hear it. He messaged me later that night, and he's like, dude, that's some solid shit. Like, he really enjoyed it. So it's kind of fun that I could spread the gospel a little bit. Let's piggyback on that, Josh, because I agree. I don't think a lot of people know this track outside of the album listeners. I know they did the video, which I fucking love, but it has not really gotten pushed. I mean, we haven't heard anything about this being on the active rock radio. I never hear it on the radio. I don't hear it on Sirius radio. So it's like a single that was never a single. I don't know. This one's very strange for me, but I think this one out of just about every song should have been pushed like a motherfucker. I truly believe in my heart of hearts and I have no knowledge of this, but we've alluded to it in previous episodes that we think this could have happened. I think this was supposed to be the third single and the music video wasn't ready for some reason and it got delayed. And then they went to plan B and did nothing feels right or whatever, like last minute. The timing was so herky jerky with the single releases for this album. It just didn't make any sense. Right. 
And to release the music video for this song when they did on album release day, it kind of was pointless. It was overshadowed by the album. By far. That's a great point. I mean, there's just no reason to do that other than it just wasn't ready until that point. Now, as in my mind, that's what happened because the video was so fun to watch. And the making of the video. Making of it I love yeah. that shit, right? And everyone, again, going on about what a professional Ozzy is and how easy he is to work with. And he just knows what he's doing. It's so fun to see and hear those things. So obviously this song comes with a little bit of controversy because one of the lyrics is one of those days that I don't believe in Jesus. And obviously the story kind of hit everywhere that Eric Clapton did not want that lyric on the song and he was very worried about it. So they actually recorded a version that said one of those days where I don't believe in Christmas and thank the fucking Lord Ozzy just said, (laughs) hey, that doesn't work. Let's go back to the original track. So much so that he went back to Eric and said, hey dude, we're going to use that lyric if you don't want to play on it i understand i should thank god but that said now we want to hear that version also around christmas time so ozzy <laughs> guys if you're listening release you know, a christmas single you know we, we funny thing ozzy it. hates christmas as we all know which kind of drives me crazy because i'm kind of a christmas guy but it's kind of funny though and a little ironic since he's yeah. always railing against christmas yeah absolutely so that was a good story i thought of the making of it i love also andrew Watt talking about how he was so insistent on eric clapton using a wah pedal that he just kept texting him and emailing him. He's a wah, he's a wah. And then finally, him and Ozzy just mailed him a fucking wah because Eric never responded. And I thought that was really kind of cheeky and ballsy, but really cool that they just said, fuck it, we'll just mail him a wah. It's fucking hilarious, man. It's hilarious. And he still didn't respond until they got the fucking track back. And they literally said they went to listen to the track, not knowing that the wah wah was on it or not. (laughs) Well, I like what Ozzy said too. And he said that in the show we went to, and I don't know if it made the final cut, but he said that Andrew was like fuck it even if he doesn't play while we're gonna add it anyway i thought that was yeah (laughs) imagine eric clapton surprise when he gets that back and it's like different than how he recorded it they said that they specifically tried to write a cream track which i really don't hear in this song outside of eric's playing i'm talking about the core music yeah i don't hear it at all either i've tried and tried to hear it because he keeps in a heavy cream or evil cream you know is what andrew watt says and i just can't hear that either So for me, Josh, and I know I've said this to you, but I really want to emphasize it. There is a lot of DNA of I Just Want You on this track, a shit ton, and a lot more than I think people realize. But I think this is Andrew Watts' inspiration of saying, hey, let's go back to Osmosis a little bit. There's a few of these tracks on Patient Number 9, by the way. But this one definitely has got a shit ton of I Just Want You in it. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. There's actually a lot of songs in this album that have an Osmosis vibe to them. That was kind of the word early on from a lot of listeners, right? It reminds me of Osmosis as a whole. You can hear that, kind of the chord progression on the chorus. Definitely. You could sing I Just Want You to that. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. And even the, the other part, too, where it's before it goes into that A minor part on the verse, he's actually playing a B, and it's picked. It's just like I Just Want You. If you listen to that very intro, it's picked and it's just done just like I just want you. And then yeah. it, it changes up to the chorus riff, which is a little different. And then that chorus, if you just hummed, it's spot on the chorus. Yeah. Yeah. Good call, man. Yeah, I love it. And, you know, anytime Ozzy wants to release something in the vein of I just want you, I'm jacking it off oh, all day long. <laughs> yeah. And he even has that outro a little bit, right? I mean, it's not I just want you, which is the greatest outro of all time. But I do like the, and we'll get into that a little bit more, that Ozzy does have that vocal outro. I think it really makes that song. So what was your first initial thoughts of it? Not not when we heard it, but like in the context of the record once we, once it was released and we got it. You know, has it grown on you? Is it still about the same? What was your initial thoughts versus where it is today? 
Yeah, you know, early on, if I'm totally honest, it was one of the tracks I listened to the least. I mean, I shouldn't say listen to the least because I would listen to the album all the way through, then all the way through, then all the way through. That's kind of how I do. Then after several listens, I'll put it on random and listen to it on random, you know, but I will listen to the whole album. I still kind of do that. It was one of the ones I enjoyed the least early on. And it wasn't like, oh, man, this isn't good. It's just the album is so fucking good as a whole. And it just wasn't the track that grabbed me instantly. And it took probably two weeks. I love the video from the star. I would watch the video a lot. But it took about two weeks for me really just to say, okay, fuck, I'm totally getting this one now. It, it took a minute. But Eric's playing throughout the track is just so freaking good. And really, even leading into it, like I wasn't even really excited for this track because I love Eric Clapton. I got a couple of his CDs. I'm a fan of his playing. I'm a guitar player. Gotta love Eric Clapton. You know, no disrespect. But I was just like, I don't know how Ozzy and Eric Clapton is going to sound together. Like I just, in my head, I couldn't really visualize it or hear it in my head, you know? And all we know is his god-awful cover of Sunshine of Your Love, which is not great. Let's be perfectly honest. It's the worst recorded track in Ozzy's fucking catalog, period. It's up there. I've always it's said up that. There. Yeah. It's fucking miserable. It's, it's the one song I will not, I kind of skip it every time. I wasn't excited for this one like a lot of fans were in the first place. And then once I heard it initially, man, I was kind of like, eh, bottom half of the album. You know, I, it just wasn't one that I was really crazy about early on. How about you? You know, I was hooked by that chorus right out of the gate, man. I just remember being in love with how fucking hooky this song was. And I, I definitely got the osmosis vibes pretty quick. I will tell you, here's the thing about this song. It's probably the simplest structure on the record. This one is... You know, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, no bridge, but a lengthy guitar solo, which we know patient number nine is filled with them, and then chorus, outro, out. So it's a very, very simple, and that's probably why I think maybe you didn't like it at first, Josh, is because it's so simple. And everything else off this record is actually a little bit more intriguing from an arrangement standpoint. Yeah, and honestly, another part of it, too, that was kind of weird for me was just how, I don't want to use the word hokey, but how the chorus was very like, hey, hey, it seemed hokey to me a little bit. And it took me a second to really grow on how great that melody actually is. It was probably, we were going to school one day, and my daughter, who's not an Aussie fan, my little boy, by the way, I said on an earlier episode that he preferred Ordinary Man to Patient Number 9. Let's update that. Caden 100% is a Patient Number 9 guy. All right. He's her, oh, Welcome dude, he team. loves it. And his favorite track is Parasite. Nice. My little girl is not really an Aussie fan and was listening to Patient Number 9 on the way to school. And she was there singing, hey, hey, ever lost mom. And I'm like, Callie. Do you like this one? Like, is this one you finally like? And she's like, yeah, like this is, this is catchy. It's fun. And it, from there, it made me really pay much more attention to the course. And I kind of picked up then what it was actually doing. I actually think this course is super anthemic. I think it's very anthem. Like this would have been a fun one for him to do live. Cause I think you could sing along with it, but I think you hit on something, dude, why I am so passionate about this one being a bigger single and being promoted more kind of like I felt about dreamer. I felt like dreamer wasn't promoted to its fullest. I think this one out of every other song off patient number nine is the one that hits the widest variety of fans. Like my wife likes this song. My kids like this song. I think mo the metalheads should like this song. And I mean, rock fans should love it. Maybe not the metalheads, but the rock fans should eat this one up. But the metal fans had degradation rules and patient number nine and fucking parasite and immortal. There's a lot of metal stuff on here, but from a single perspective, I think this one would have really blew up from the Eric Clapton connection and just how catchy and mainstream the song is. It's very mainstream. 
Yeah, I agree totally, man. And, you know, the proof's in the pudding when the tw- a 12-year-old looks at you and says, hey, I really like this one. And it's the first Aussie song they've ever liked. It probably should get more of a push for mainstream radio. You know, the whole point is not just to satisfy your already, you know, solidified fans. You want to draw in new ones also, you know? And how many fans are out there like your buddy who didn't even realize the track exists that Eric Clapton and Ozzy are playing together? Think about that. Yeah, that's my only real gripe with all these like featuring and so on. So I wish the people that we feature would do a little bit more to promote the album also. Like Elton John did nothing for Ordinary Man. Like he did and he zero. Fucking promotes everybody else under the sun on his collaborations. It pisses me off. Yeah, I just don't understand that. I think Jeff Beck did a, a little bit and Mike McCready did. Some of the guys Duff are. But, did. And of course, you know, Rob and some of those guys. But it's just, you know, you'd like to see Eric Clapton really put this out like, hey, I have a new track with Ozzy. It's a little different. Check it out. You, know, you just wish just a few tweets or something, you know? Eric really didn't push this track hardly at all. I haven't, I haven't seen anything, but I don't know how big of a social media guy he is. But yeah, I wish that these guys would have pushed it a little bit more. And I would assume that they would have been excited and honored to be a part of a big record in 2022. Because let's be honest, none of those guys really are. And, and remember, Ozzy was also a part of the re-recording of tears in heaven with all of those celebrities and i love ozzy's part on that jesus christ he so wasn't good. just a part of it they did it they did it, it. yeah it was their thing yeah like ozzy and kelly and sharon put that together so that was you know yeah they clearly are a fan of the guy yeah exactly and ozzy raves about him every chance he gets and it would have been nice to get a little reciprocation from eric saying how great ozzy sounds on the track or just something Oh, and one more before we move on. We got to throw in Tony Iommi's been really great to do press also for his tracks. Yeah, he's done great and really yeah, been we, very awesome with Ozzy. Yeah, we definitely can't leave out Tony. He's one of the ones I thought the least may actually. This cause he's over in England and so on and so forth, but he's really done great, you know, to be a part of the interviews and stuff like that. So So I think one of my favorite parts of the song is th- in the lead where, you know, he's kind of soloing over the intro and kind of like almost peters out and he's playing that little trill. And then it kicks oh, yeah. back into the chorus and he and he starts jamming on the wah. Fuck, that part gets me every time. That's the best part of the song. No question about it. And I love, love, love on the music video where they have the volume on zero. Then Ozzy turns it to 10 as Eric's noodling and, and does the little. Oh, yeah. Then so Ozzy great. cranks it to 12 when it kicks in. <laughs> it's it's so perfect, cool. Man, that yeah. was perfect. And then he's got the little, the little shitty grin on his face. And, you know, it's just. So fucking such a cool idea for the video. It really, I think actually you told me when the video came out, you preferred the video over the song. I mean, now I know it's changed, but I think you really love the video and we're still kind of iffy on the song. I love the video. Yeah, for sure. The video is awesome. But man, Eric's playing is definitely stellar. It sounds, you can hear it and know within two seconds, it's Eric Clapton. He sounds like Eric. His tone sounds like Eric. His playing sounds like Eric. But it really settles in much better than I ever thought it would with the two of those guys together. And I think Ryan at one point, like early on, like I believe it was one of his favorites from from the jump. And I remember he commented to me and you, he said, I never knew I needed Ozzy and Eric Clapton in my life together. Yeah. Like that. So, you know, and it, this song definitely has reached out to a lot of people. And again, I'm going to definitely reiterate this. Ozzy can play with Tony Iommi, Eric Clapton, Andrew Watt, Bob Daisley, Jakey Lee, Randy Rhodes, anybody. Zach Wilde, and guess what? It always sounds like a fucking Ozzy song, man. Yeah, no question. Good call, because that still sounds like fucking Eric Clapton, but at the end of the day, it sounds like an Ozzy song. It's a, a, no no question at all. And another thing, you know, again, all the players, like you mentioned earlier, Duff McKagan, his bass, the, I, I was telling Dan this earlier, the entire album through, the bass sounds so 
freaking good on this entire record, man. It's like, the biggest every, improvement, I think. No question. I catch because it's really hard to remember who's on every track. Like I'm pretty good on who's guitar. I'm pretty good on who's playing drums because you know Chad for the most part does all but three, right? But I'm yep. continually going back to the fucking CD or something and looking to see who's playing bass on each track because I kind of forget those a little. And the bass sounds so good track in and track out on this record. But again, Duff knocks the bass out of the fucking park on this one. Also, the bass is so good. Yeah, I agree. I think I think Ordinary Man was almost too bassy. I think he's gotten it really dialed in where you can actually articulate and hear what the bass is playing. And I think that is what makes it so outstanding on this record. Yeah, good call. And this is one where Chad Smith truly doesn't necessarily stand out because he realizes that Eric Clapton, one of the greatest guitar players of all time, literally is soloing the entire song. And I think Chad just lays back and lets Eric do his fucking thing. Yeah, no question about it. They had to be so fucking giddy when they got these tracks back. And and, and this is it. Eric did not make any changes. This is what he sent them. You know, Andrew talked about that where Jeff Beck, you know, sent it to him 10, 11 different times and was like, I can play yeah. that better. I can play that better. You know, Eric Clapton was like, here you go, <laughs> you know. Absolutely. And there's not one note you'd change on it. No, it's so, so good. Absolutely. Yeah. You'd love to know what Eric thought about it. Like when Eric's doing the little noodling part and then it kicks in. Like with somebody yeah. second, did Eric hear that and go, oh, it's so fucking good. Or did he just add whatever? I mean, what did he think about it? Yeah, that's what we don't know. It's so strange. I'm not quite sure. But I will say I love that Andrew Watt gives him and all of the guitar players on this record an ample time to show off. Like that solo was fucking long. There's no oh, question. Yeah. Album wide, we've talked about this before, you and I. I don't know if we mentioned it on the show. It's clear they wanted this to be a guitar player's album. No question. Definitely. Because all the solos are extended about eight bars more than they usually would be on any <laughs> other recording. And it never drags, though, because the players are so fucking good. And, you know, you, Jeff Beck and Zach Wilde and Mike McCready. McCready's is the only one that's kind of shorter, maybe a little bit. But right. the whole song's kind of short, so it just you know it never drags, and there's never a moment where I go, oh, you know, EC's going too long on this one. We need to, <laughs> we need to rush this up. No, it's fucking great. I agree absolutely. And again, we had talked about this privately, but Ozzy did come out and say the only critique he had of Ordinary Man was he didn't like the guitar tone, and I think that is something that is also greatly improved on this record. The guitar tones are great, and like you said, they have really paid attention and made the guitar solos much, much better. There's some good ones we talked about. I think obviously ordinary man is great by slash. I really, really like the all my life solo for sure by Andrew Watt. And I also love Holy for tonight solo. So there are some really nice solos on it, but they pale in comparison to really what is going on here. Guitar players album. No question. I mean, this album, we knew when you saw the names, you're like, Oh, this is going to be so fucking cool. And it's definitely lived up to the hype. All right. So let's go over the lyrics. If that's okay. Sounds fun. All right, so this lyric, again, very simple. I think Allie does a fine job on this song. I'm sure Ozzy is definitely involved on this one. So here is the lyric. First verse starts, disarray and burning nations dancing in the smoke, getting high on suffocation, better not to know. Yeah. And then it's right away into the chorus. Hey, hey, have I lost my mind, killing myself, but I never die. It's one of those days that I don't believe in Jesus. No, no. Hey, hey, have I lost control? Drinking my sins never drown my soul. One of those days that I don't believe in Jesus. So let's talk again real quick about the verse first and, and break it down a little bit. Disarray and burning nations, dancing in the smoke, getting high on suffocation, better not to know. What do you make of that? It, to me, this one isn't as quite as clear. 
I know Ozzy says something about having a bad day, one of those days where you don't believe in Jesus. I get that and stuff, but I actually think this is about being fucked up and about alcohol in particular and and struggling the next day because he's hungover. That's what I actually think this song is about. Yeah, I think you're onto a little something right there. I think initially your mind does go to just, well, it's a bad day, and it's just kind of a tongue-in-cheek song about having a rough day. and you know. But when you read the verse lyrics, like you said, I think there's definitely more to it than just that. Um, being fucked up makes sense. Disarray, burning nations. You know, I can see that. Ozzy's melody on that chorus, though, is so fucking catchy. He's oh, He so writes the world's greatest melodies. It's just unbelievable. Killing myself, but I never die. I mean, what a fucking cool line is that? It is it is great. But again, to me, that's alcohol. Killing yes, because you're killing yourself. But I'm he sorry. never dies, right? I agree. Yeah. You're killing yourself by drinking and doing these drugs every day, but you never die. And I think the and second verse really brings that home. Probably praying to die half the time, right? You're fucking miserable. Yeah, agreed. So the second verse says, lay me down on broken bottles. Let me see my blood. I love that line. Love you now, but not tomorrow. See, to me, that lyric right there, love you now, but not tomorrow, but be afraid of what's to follow is clearly about loving being fucked up, but hating the repercussions of it. Agreed. Totally. Agreed right? totally. And once again, Ali Temposi, you're a goddess. Yeah, I hear a little bit more Aussie in this one because it's not so straightforward. It's a little bit more out there like you have yeah. to think a little bit where Allie does a great job of a song like holy for tonight i'll pull you know it tells a great story this one's much more esoteric like you got to break through the walls a little bit to really find out what's yeah. going on you got to think about it a little bit it's just not laid straight out there for you but yeah and that's it it's definitely the shortest lyrics on the whole record and then the rest of the song is just the chorus so again it's a very very straightforward song this is one of those songs and that's why i think it should be a single because this is how pop songs are where the chorus is just drilled into your head over and over and Chorus over. driven. Yeah. yeah. The hook. hook it's so hook, good. Hook. And I'll tell you again, I'm going to say this on a lot of songs, but I got to say it here. They could have easily just cut and pasted the chorus, but the last time through it's my, it's definitely my favorite part of the song is where Ozzy sings. Hey, Hey, I think it's at like 347, but he changes it up just a smidge his Hey, Hey on the very last time he goes through the chorus, And that last chorus is completely resung and not a cut and paste. And then it leads to that wonderful, beautiful outro. Album-wide, it just feels like they never cut corners on this one. Right. You know, whereas Ordinary Man had the rush a little bit, and, you know, I'm not knocking it. It just, it was it was lightning in a bottle, and they all knew it. Everyone knows it. It was literally written and recorded in, in a few months, right? And remember, Ozzy was not sure he was going to release Ordinary Man. That's an important yeah. note. Remember, he was saying on Ozzy Speaks, I'm writing with this guy named Andrew. I'm not sure if it's good enough to be released yet. I'm still working on it. Yeah, I like it, but I don't know how, you know, you yeah. going to feel about it kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. So they definitely did not cut corners on this record. But like you said, so short lyrically, driven by the, the course and Eric Clapton's fucking kick-ass guitar, man. They knew they had a great fucking thing going with Eric on this track. And one thing I want to mention before I forget above all else, I mentioned this to you earlier. Listeners, listen close, but that fucking organ is so darn good in the background of that chorus, <laughs> so man. Classic. Great call, man. Great call. Yeah, so good. And that's now that is where a cream feel comes in a little bit too, though, right? But it's also an Aussie thing. I mean, we 100%. know Aussie loves the organ, man. I I, I yep. think it's also a Beatles thing, too, to be honest. But yeah, cream for sure. But yeah, it totally suits both Aussie and cream, but it's 
becoming my favorite part of the course. I just love listening in the background. It's so subtle back there. Dan and I were having a conversation. You know, we both write and record music. And by the way, <clears throat> we both have some new shit coming out shortly. So just keep <laughs> your sounds good too. Eyes and ears peeled for that because we've got to, you know, we've got to self-promote here a little bit. But anyway, so often there's so much behind great tracks that you really never hear, but you would miss them if they weren't there, right? An organ is something that could very easily fill that role in most cases. But when you listen to this track closely, you can hear that organ. And once you hear it, you can't unhear it. It sounds so freaking great back there. Yeah, it's like ambiance, right? It just, mm -hmm. it's there. I just did this in one of the new tracks. And if I sent you the part that I have in the background for ambiance, you'd be like, dude, I don't even hear it in the track, but you do hear it. I promise yeah. you, you know, it's, just, I love little shit like that, man. I do too, man. Yeah. The minute you took it away, it would be totally different. So I'm going to just go off here right before we wrap up and, and go off on a small tangent. What I love about Andrew Watt, why I think Ozzy has had a revival to his creativity. And it's nothing against Black Rain and and Down to Earth. I love, I fucking love Down to Earth. We know this or Scream, but it's the tuning, Josh. I'm telling you. Again, we get another track that is tuned to E flat, and that works wonders for Ozzy. Tuning Ozzy to B and C and A, it does not work for his solo career. Now I know Sabbath was tuned to C sharp, people for about four albums, and E for four albums. So. Those middle four albums, of course, iconic and, and works great for Ozzy. But for solo Ozzy, E and E flat with a few songs to drop C sharp, like No More Tears and Perry Mason, is where he is in his wheelhouse. And Andrew Watt has brought that back in full force. And that's why these songs are so fucking good and classic. Yeah, agree totally. It's just where he, it's his comfort zone. It's where he sounds the best. I've always liked him out of songs out of the key of A. You know, yeah, it, it seems like he always just rocks those. And it's tuned though, but tuned but, but tuned to E flat. Yeah, e, of e or E flat. Right. Yeah. And you're right. I mean, how many classic songs are in the key of A in Ozzy's career? Oh, you, you can go through you know? me and I don't know. No bone movies. I don't want to change the world. I mean, it's in Crazy Train, Suicide Solution, all of them flying high again in the key of A. Absolutely, yeah. dude. You nailed it. So I love and, it. And another one, one more that I'm throwing in there. It's kind of the, the weird one. And that's Working Class Hero from fucking Undercover. I love Ozzy's vocals on that track, man. And again, that's out of, out of A also. God, we still need that a full minor. on a. fucking. A minor. It's definitely A minor. <laughs> it's Lennon, baby. Yeah. So we need that all John Lennon, Beatles, Paul McCartney tribute record. That would have been so much better than Undercover. But I digress. We will get that discussion going when we cover Undercover. All right, Josh. So before we finish up, give it to me straight. Where does this fall? on your top four, bottom four, middle four. This album is just so fucking good, Dan. We had to say this every time. Like, it's just, if you're in the middle four of Patient Number 9, that means you would be, like, near the top of Ordinary Man almost, you know? Except for the fact that Ordinary Man has, like, four complete fucking bona fide classics. But anyway, for me, this track lands right in the middle. If there's 12 tracks, it's right around six for me. And... That's not a knock in the slightest because I think there's eight that are fucking absolutely fucking perfect on this album. And I think it falls around the six mark. So it's in the middle four. All right. I am exactly on that page. Middle four, smack dab in the middle of the record, five, six, seven, somewhere around there. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's great. Like you said, to me, the middle four of this album is fucking strong as balls. You know, 100%. I love it. So I think this one is right there. It's not quite in my top four, but it's, it's a solid middle pack of the record. No question. And 
to be fair to it, also extremely memorable, right? Like it's a track you could listen to. Like we did at the listening party. We heard it one time and didn't hear it again for two months, right? Right. But it was a song that more than the others, we could kind of remember what it sounded like. Hook driven. Very memorable. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And it's one I listen to a lot. I'm not going to lie. I like the feel of it, the groove of it. It brings me back to Osmosis, me and Josh fucking love. Oh, yeah. So it is definitely one I listen to a lot, but it, it is yeah. a middle four track. No question. All right, Dan, before we sign off, is there anything else you want to address? Two things. One, let us know what you think of the track, of course, and let us know what you think of Halloween Ends. We're curious to hear what your thoughts are on that divisive horror movie. Absolutely. Agreed totally. Like and subscribe on YouTube, all that fun shit. All right, guys, until next time, we will see you all on the other side. said man before we get into this week's episode which is the awesome one of these days <laughs> <laughs> it's so I awesome i have no fucking clue the name of it <laughs> i about said no escape from now <laughs> <laughs> that's so good i forgot what i was even saying let me, get, let me start over <laughs> you're staring into my beautiful eyes oh that's what it is man yeah. those, 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 we both got the blues rocking don't we yeah yeah i got yeah. a little bit hazel so sometimes it's green yeah i got on a blue t-shirt you do have beautiful blue eyes really, though. really really coming through yeah, yeah i told you Thank that you. when we met and you were like get the hell out of here but you do. <laughs> you my josh has beautiful not... blue eyes oh thank you i told my wife last night i said i've been out riding my motorcycle for about three or four hours and i got home and she's like you want to go to walmart with me and i was like sure and i said so let me go in here and fix my hair real quick because i've been riding my motorcycle i knew it would be blown you know and uh, i go in there and look in the mirror perfectly in place i was like i got the greatest fucking hair ever like it's <laughs> Jesus. one hair out of, out of place <laughs> that's that's amazing <laughs> so you heard it here first people everybody calls me the metrosexual of the show but we now know it's really our boy from kentucky yeah but it's because i've been riding a motorcycle for three hours oh, and it was still bullshit in place, excuses so. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome 